Bible, raise your hand, we'll get one to you so you can follow along. Don't want to miss out. 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we left off, wasn't it? First Corinthians 15. You guys remember what verse we left off on? Eleven or twelve, somewhere in that region. We'll go back and we'll get a running start this morning. How about we start with verse one? <laughs> I, listen, this is the longest chapter in the book, and judging by first service, we're not going to get through the entire chapter. But listen, this is such a, a crucial uh, chapter that we're looking at this morning. In fact, Paul is answering. Um, one of the most important questions uh, of the entire book, really one of the most important questions of the Bible, and it's concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Some in the church in Corinth were beginning to deny the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes through 58 verses or 59 verses here on this entire chapter speaking about the resurrection, not only our Lord's resurrection, but also ours as well. The problem, why this was happening in the church, is the problem probably stemmed from Greek philosophy creeping into the church. That was an issue in Corinth, um, false teaching creeping in, something that is not good creeping in. This morning I had coffee. And so check this out. I had, a, I had a cup of coffee, and it was, first sip was amazing. Next sip, I take a sip and put it down, and I'm like, something's crunching in my mouth. <laughs> I don't mean to gross you out before lunch. I'm going, okay. Take it out. I'm like, okay, what is this? I open it up and look at it, and I thought it was coffee grounds. You know, it was totally black. I'm like, oh, it's got to be some coffee grounds. But then I like try to sm- like smush it like coffee grounds, and I, it's not smushing. And I turn it over, guess what it's got? It's got legs, yeah. So, my, so this amazing cup of coffee was ruined by this little punk. I don't know. <laughs> Gets into my, and here's the thing. It couldn't have been a coffee ground because they were pot, I had a pod. So it's like, how in the world did this critter get in my cup? But it's, I hope, hopefully it's an illustration to help demonstrate the point. A little bit of leaven, a little bit of something that's not good introduced into something that's great, and it jacks it up. So this Greek philosophy was creeping into um, the church in Corinth, and the concept of physical resurrection did not make sense to them. They thought, you know what, how can you reassemble or reconstruct a body after it has become dust. How in the world does that work out? Well, we have, a God, we have the God of the impossible, don't we? <laughs> He's able to do anything. All he needs is a little bit of DNA, and guess what? He can put a whole body back together. Well, we'll get to that later. We're going to talk about uh, the glorious resurrected bodies that we get fitted for all eternity. Anybody ready for a new bod? Amen. The old bod is from the sod. The new bod is from God. <laughs> That's how you can remember it. Well... 
So the resurrection, absolutely essential. So let's, let's move back to verse 1, then we'll get down to where we left off, because it's important to be reminded this morning of how Paul begins this chapter. He says, Moreover, brethren, um, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And so Paul gives a, a simple, concise, succinct gospel, the components of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day, all in fulfillment of the scripture. Simple way. If you're looking for a simple gospel uh, message to share, there it is. But then he goes on. He says, and that he, Jesus, was seen by Cephas. Who is Cephas? Peter, then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. What does that mean to fall asleep? Are they taking a nap? Soul sleep? What, is, what are we talking about here? They've died, right? They've died and gone on to heaven. And he says, um, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And so if you were here last week, we broke that down verse by verse. But just to give a quick overview to set the context for this morning, the Apostle Paul begins with reminding the Corinthian church um, that it's not an accident that they exist. Paul came and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened? The people got born again radically changed. And didn't that happen in our lives too? The gospel shared with us. We received the gospel. And what does the Lord do? He changes us. He comes into our hearts and does a miracle that only he can do. So Paul reminds them, exhibit A, here it is, exhibit A, that Jesus is alive. You guys, the church. Then he goes on to talk about the gospel, the good news, reminding them that it is good news, by the way. That Jesus died for our sins. We are in need of a Savior. Our sins have been dealt with. That he was buried and he rose again. That he's alive. Correct? And then he, and then he begins to call witnesses to the stand of the resurrection. That Jesus is alive. And he begins by listing all these different people. Right? Can you imagine over 500 at one time saw Jesus? And then he says... They're, the majority of them, they're still alive. So when Paul wrote that letter, you could have gone and, and interviewed. You could have talked to someone and said, hey, tell me about when Jesus rose. Tell me about, tell me what, it, what did it look like? What, how did it happen? How did it roll out? Give me some insight. So there was people that saw Jesus alive. And then Paul goes, I was the last one to see Jesus alive. 
And you guys remember Acts chapter 9? Jesus came to him. I mean, miracle of miracles radically transformed that religious monster into a gracious, loving, serving, kind, sold out man of God. And Paul says, listen, it's by, the, by, the, it's by God's grace I am what I am. Because of his favor, because of his kindness. And he says, I maxed out the grace that God gave me. I wasn't a lazy bum. I mean, God's grace should, should do something in our hearts and in our lives. There should be some, some, some uh, consequence, if you will. There's some outworking. When we receive the grace of God, it's not just to sit on it, but it should be worked out practically in our lives. And Paul reminds the church of that. And then he says in verse 11, he says, whether it was I or they or one of the other apostles, we preach, and it's in the, it's in the, in the Greek, it's in the habitual continual tense. In other words, we're continuing to preach. We're continuing to share the good news. We're con- and there's not a lot of good news out there, is there right now? Listen, we have the good news, gang. The life-changing, life-saving message. God provided the Savior, we provide the sinner. Not hard. Even a child can understand as we share. The Lord wants us to share, doesn't he? Do, do we talk about the things we love? Don't we? We talk, I mean, we, we post stuff we love, don't we? Selfies, self. Think about if we said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start sharing about the one I love, Jesus Christ, and see what the Lord will do. Because it's interesting, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For, the, for all who believe. It's the gospel. It's like, you know, just get it out. Just share it, what the Lord has done in your life. And then just flip back to three and four right here. And just, and you guys know, it's not hard. The hard part is we're such chickens so often. Well, listen, time is ticking, gang. Time is ticking. The Lord is coming. Whether by rapture or by rupture, our time will expire. And we have the answer for death because Jesus is risen. Now, Paul's going to make that point. I'm getting ahead of myself. And so here's the deal. Paul will continue to develop the importance of resurrection. It is critical. It is essential. It is, listen, this is not a side issue, the resurrection, by the way. If you don't believe, listen, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ um, rose from the dead in a resurrection body, as the Bible says that he did, then you have no right to call yourself a Christian. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, Romans 10 tells us that. In Romans 10, check this out. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is not a side issue. This is the issue. This is a critical issue. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to make a point. The resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection are inseparable. They are together. You can't have one without the other. Well, let's look what he says. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. 
And so here's the issue. If Christ is proclaimed, he's heralded, he's, it's declared that he is risen, that Jesus is alive. How can, he, Paul's asking them a question. How can some of you in the church say that God's people will not rise from the dead? How can you even believe that? How can you say that? And again, Paul carefully demonstrated and proved that Jesus is risen. They believed that Jesus is risen. And so the issue is not them believing that Jesus is risen. It's them believing that, that us as Christians will rise, that we will have a resurrection. That's the issue that Paul's dealing with here with them. And so, listen, this morning, resurrection is not just life after death but the continuation of life after death in resurrected, glorified bodies. Our present bodies will be transformed into a glorified state. Can I read Philippians real quick, Pete? Is that cool? A little reminder. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus coming? Yeah, he is. What's he going to do? Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That's good news, isn't it? First John, uh, it says in 1 John 3, 2, I'm going to read this also. It's such a great reminder this morning. 1 John 3, 2, behold, beloved, now we are children of God. Is that good news too this morning? God's children. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that awesome? When we see him, we will be like him. There's this radical transformation that's going to happen. And Paul says, listen, hey, I just proved that Jesus rose from the dead, right? I just established the principle of resurrection, correct? He's saying that to the church. If you believe the principle of resurrection for Jesus, why don't you believe it for yourself? Jesus said, because I live, so you too will live. You too shall live. That's the hope we have, isn't it? And so his resurrection is real, so guess what? Ours is too. If, if his resurrection is not real, then neither is ours. And Paul is saying, listen, you think that your thinking is not a problem, but guess what? It's a major problem. It is a major issue. And now he talks about what the issue is if we get rid of resurrection. Look what it says, next verse, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is what? Is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Why? Because we have testified of God. We've gone on record that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. 
So look at verse 13 with me. Paul says, if we don't rise from the dead, then Jesus is not risen. So simple. If you deny the resurrection of God's people from the dead, then you must simultaneously deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul is saying the two are inseparable. Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection are together. The promise is we will be raised in his likeness, the Bible says. And so Paul's saying you can't have it both ways. You can't say amen to the resurrection of Jesus and deny the resurrection of God's people. And so if you deny the resurrection of God's people, then you deny the resurrection of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, listen, if Jesus is not risen, verse 14 then what we're saying to you, what we're proclaiming, the message we're carrying, the message we are delivering is empty or bogus. It's worthless. And he says, your faith is also what? What does your Bible say? Your faith is also empty. Your faith is also bogus. So what if there's no resurrection? Our preaching is in vain. It's of no value. Listen, you know what that means? If, there's no, if Jesus is not alive, he's a dead savior. All he is, or all he was, was a good teacher. She gave us a good example, taught some good stuff. Showed us how to sacrifice. If he's not alive, listen, he's dead. The good news is not really good news at all. It's bad news, isn't it? If, if you take away the resurrection, then I got nothing to say. I don't have a message because it is the greatest message of all time. It's, that's, that's why it is the good news, God's good news. It, it, without the resurrection, it's an empty message with no power to forgive, no power to save, no power to change. And listen, no answer for death. No answer for death. If Jesus doesn't rise, if Jesus didn't rise, the message that saves you that we read in verse 3 and 4, it's absolutely meaningless. And then he says, listen, if Jesus didn't rise, look at the end part, your faith is what? It's empty. You're believing in nothing. You're, you're trusting in a dead Savior. Your faith is hopeless. You have no guarantee of life beyond the grave. Listen, how important is the resurrection? It's crucial. He, and he, but he goes on. Look what he says in verse 15. In addition, we have been found, we've been discovered or detected as, if there's no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise, we're a bunch of liars. Because we've gone on record for God, saying that he did raise Jesus from the dead. And guess what? If he didn't rise, we are a bunch of phonies. We are a bunch of liars. And then he uses some sanctified sarcasm at the end of that verse. According to some of you, apparently God did not raise Jesus from the dead since the dead don't get resurrected, right? That's what he's saying to them. If those, and then he goes on, look at verse 16. If those who die don't rise from the dead, then Jesus is not risen either. Again, he says it a second time. And what's the result if Jesus is not risen? Look at verse 17. He says it a second time. If Jesus is not risen, your trust in him, what, did he, what does it say? Is futile. It's aimless. It has no purpose. And then he says, this is, this is heavy. You are what? You are still in your sins. All of your sins have not been washed away. 
Your record has not been cleared or expunged. All your sins are still on, uh, on your account, if you will. That's heavy. You're guilty before God. Can I just remind us this morning, the complete work of Jesus Christ is what washes away our sins and brings us into right relationship with God. His complete work, his death, burial, and resurrection. Please listen to what Paul says in in, uh, Romans chapter 4. You're taking notes. It's right at the end of chapter 4, I believe. Romans 4. It's one book back to the left if you want to flip over there. And Paul's talking about God's righteousness being imputed or given to us freely to our account. And he says in verse uh, 24, speaking of God's righteousness, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And then speaking of Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Do you guys catch that? He gave his life for our offenses, for our sins, our transgressions, and was raised up for our justification. Justification, justified means simply, you guys remember how to remember the word? Justified means it's just as if I'd. You guys got that? Justified, just as if I'd never sin at all. In God's eyes, our sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever when we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Is that good news? It would be blasphemy if I said that, but God says that. He said, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's good news, isn't it? Well, we'll talk about that more later. But listen, we put such a great emphasis on what Jesus did on the cross, the payment Um, that he made for our sins in his life's blood. But listen, we must not neglect the importance of the resurrection. These are absolutely vital components. The resurrection is evidence that the payment Jesus made for all of the sins of all of humanity was accepted by the Father. That's, he was, the, the cross was the payment. The empty tomb is the receipt. That's how we know that the payment was accepted for our sins, that our sins were atoned for, and God did not allow His Holy One to see corruption. He raised Him from the dead. I mean, remember when the, when the Spice Girls came to the tomb? You guys remember that? And the angels, the angels like with His wingtips, scratching His head, what in the world are you doing? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. He is what? He is risen. He's alive. What are you doing? He told you. Don't you remember He told you? Isn't that us, though, sometimes? He told us. Listen, if if Jesus did not rise from the dead, I'm sunk, you're sunk. We're still in our sins. We have no intercessor either. Remember Hebrews chapter 7? It talks about Jesus being our high priest, our mediator, our intercessor. It says that he is able to save to the uttermost. It says about Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is so awesome. It says, uh, therefore, Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If Jesus is not alive, there's no intercession for you and me. He's not interceding. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no helper. There's no comforter. 
There's no mediator. If Listen, if Jesus didn't rise, there's no, there's no mediator. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. If Jesus didn't rise, no mediator. Guess what? You and I are disconnected from God. That's a bummer, isn't it? No understanding his word, no understanding his will, his plans, his purposes, his love. Listen, if there's no resurrection, then there's no payment for sins. And guess what? All that's left is judgment. Look at the next verse. This is heavy. Are you guys starting to see how important the resurrection is? Look what it says in the next verse, verse 18. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ. What does it mean to fall asleep? Some of you are falling asleep in Christ right now. Wake up. Come on. No, just kidding. He needs to die and go home to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lord. Is that good news? That's fine. But he says here, if Jesus is not risen, then all of those Christians who have died have been, have what? Have perished. Literally, they've been cut off completely, gone forever, eternally separated from God in, a pla- in that place, in hell, lake of fire, in that place of suffering for their sins. Because there was no pain. The payment wasn't accepted if Jesus is not alive. It's heavy, isn't it? Because we say, oh, that brother or sister is in a better place, right? I mean, we had some brothers and sisters go home to be with the Lord here in our church recently. We know that they're in the arms of Jesus. But if he's not risen, we can't say that. Because he's dead. He's a dead Savior. They're not in a better place. What a bummer this life is if Jesus is not risen. What a tragedy that when we say goodbye, it is really for good. Listen, if you give up the resurrection, you give up the words that Jesus said, because I live, so you too shall live. If the resurrection is not real, guess what? We have no hope. I mean, how many people around us have no hope that we meet every day? And he says, look at his, in fact, that's what he's talking about, verse 19. If our hope in Jesus is only in this present life and not in the life to come, then of all human beings, of all men, we are the most pitiable. Listen, I hope, do, we, do we all believe the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. Hopefully we do. If there's no resurrection, check this out, the Christian life's a joke. It's a joke. That's what he's saying. It's pitiable. If we don't have something to look forward to beyond this life, then why hassle with the challenges of being a Christian? You gonna pour out your life for a fantasy? Are you gonna are you going to get beat up for a fairy tale? <laughs> for a dead savior? Sacrifice and serve, give of your time, talents, and treasures for a dead guy? Listen, <laughs> being a Christian solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? Doesn't being a Christian solve a lot of problems? But it brings a lot of problems too. But since Jesus is alive, he's the one who helps us through them with his wisdom, with his strength to navigate. If there's no resurrection, no life beyond this one, then there's no hope at all. Zero hope. 
After all we endure and there's no resurrection, then Paul says, what, we're pity? We're a bunch of fools. If this is all we got, we're pathetic, Paul says. If Jesus didn't rise, the Christian life is not worth living. But guess what? We're different, though, because of Jesus, aren't we? we have, do we have hope? Peter says it's a living hope. Re- let me read that, by the way. Can I read that real quick? It's so good. Anybody ever had a reservation that they said you didn't make a reservation, you get to the hotel, and it's like, what do you mean? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. For you. It's a reservation that ain't going to get canceled, man. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, where did he go to prepare a place, by the way? The Father's house in heaven, correct? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You know what that tells me? Jesus is coming. And he's going to take us to the Father's house. And we're going to learn in 1 Thessalonians 4, when that happens, we're going to get caught up in the air and the transformation of the new glorified body. Not even that slow. In the twinkling of an eye, it's going to say the end of this chapter. How quick is that? Just boom, before we know it. Where was I? For unbelievers, this life is alone is the only happiness you will ever have for all eternity. Listen, if you're rejecting Jesus Christ this morning, this life is the best it'll ever get for you. And and I'm saying this because with a broken heart, the worst is yet to come for you. This is the best it'll ever get. Enjoy it now. Then yeah, then eat, drink, and be merry, do whatever. But Jesus is risen. And for us that know the Lord, the best is yet to come. Our hopes and dreams begin when we pass through the veil into eternity or if the Lord comes for us. The place that he's prepared for us where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. And for all eternity, he's going to be revealing different facets of his his grace to you and I. It's going to be amazing. Isn't that awesome? We were in the car the other day talking with my girls and someone, someone was saying, is Clancy going to be in heaven? Clancy's our cat. I'm like, I, I, well, first of all, I joke with them. You guys know that. I had to. Br- well, we know there's harps, and you need strings for harps. So, but listen, listen, look at how Jesus, look at how He's blessed us right now. If you want to have a cat, then maybe you know what you're going to have a cat. You're going to have Clancy with you. I don't know, but think about how good God is. You fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? It's like you get there and you say to our father, can I have Clancy? Well, you know what? He's a good father. You can hold him to his word. Because he's faithful to his word, isn't he? He keeps his word. Listen, for us, life begins beyond the grave. Because look at verse 20. But now, I think Paul couldn't wait to get to this point, but now Christ is risen from the dead. 
He is alive. The resurrection matters. It is the core of Christianity. Jesus did rise. Paul is certain. I am certain. Are you certain this morning? So what does this mean in light of the previous eight verses? Since Jesus did rise, what does that mean? The message is reliable. Correct? The message is life-changing. He said, listen, if Jesus didn't rise, our message is what? It's empty. But guess what? He has risen. Our message is powerful. It is life-changing. It is good news. It has incredible power. It is not empty. It is solid. Listen, share it with confidence. Can I encourage you to share the good news with confidence? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What about your faith? Since Jesus is risen, what about your faith? What did it say earlier? Your faith is empty. No, it's not. Guess what? It's solid. You are standing on solid ground. Firm foundation. The gospel is the truth. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Because Jesus is risen. What else? What else, did he, what else did we learn back there? If Jesus is not risen, you're still in your... Guess what? Since he is risen, your sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Listen, I know there's some of us here who deal with condemnation. Can I remind you this morning? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who don't walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit, you're walking in the newness of life. The Bible declares that you are forgiven. That's a, that's a part of the new covenant. By Jesus' shed blood, his giving of his life and rising again, that our sins and our lawless deeds, he said, he will remember no more. Listen, we are set free from the penalty of sin. And not only that, the power of sin also. The power of sin is broken in our lives with the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts. Since Jesus is alive, he's able to give us the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk to enable us to walk in the things that he's called us to, to empower us to be his witnesses that he is alive, to carry the message, not only with our lips, but with our lives, to a lost world of people around us with no hope that are dying, that are blind. And you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation, gang, that we might see people get reconciled to God just as we've been reconciled because of Jesus Christ, because he lives. We're no longer in our sins that are washed away, forgiven, it's glorious. And then one day, set free from the presence of sin all together. Look what else. Remember, what, if Jesus did not rise, what about our loved ones that died in Christ? Bummer. They perish. But guess what? Jesus is risen. It's not so long. It's, I'm going to see you again. And we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Oh, we mourn. It's sad, isn't it? When those loved ones in Christ go home before us. But it's not, hey, it's so long, it's I'm going to see you again. You, that's your graduation ceremony. We will see them again because resurrection is real and Jesus made it happen. We have an answer. Listen, we have the answer for death. In the face of death. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not to fear evil because the Lord is with us. He is alive. It's glorious good news. Are we pitiable? No way. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not pitiable. 
We have a guarantee of life to come, you guys. We have a guarantee of the life to come that the Lord has for us. Jesus is risen. Look what it says at the end of that verse. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're okay. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus has become the first. What are the first fruits? What are the, what are the first? You guys remember, don't you? First fruits, Old Testament, we know, right? When the children of Israel would bring their offerings, right, to the Lord, they would bring their best of their offering. And they would give it to God, their first fruits of their, 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 their produce. And they would give it to, they bring their best to the Lord. And what it communicated was, Lord, we're trusting you for more to follow. In, in the Greek culture, it also spoke about a payment that was made, a down payment that was made, the first fruits, or an entrance fee. Well, who paid the entrance fee for us to get into heaven? Jesus did. He paid the fee, right? He's the, he's the first fruits. He's the first, firstborn from the dead, is what the Bible says in Colossians, firstborn from the dead. He's the first one with many more to follow. Well, wait a minute. What about Lazarus? Isn't it Lazarus? Jesus came a little late, a few days late. You guys remember? That's, isn't that a great story? We don't have time to go into it. But Lazarus came back, Right? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He, had to, he said, Lazarus, otherwise every, every person would come out of the grave that was in there. <laughs> had to be specific. Lazarus, come forth. But Lazarus, what would, Lazarus would have to die again. Jairus' daughter, same, same deal, right? The widow of Nain lost her only son. Jesus raised him. Listen, Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first of many more to follow. Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. He is the first fruits. That's the idea here of those who have fallen asleep. Again, the early church used that idiom for death because death is not final for the Christian. Isn't that good news? Look at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And just a little quick heads up. Paul is giving like an overall perspective of, of history from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation 22. He's going to give like a bird's eye view or overview. Uh, and it's in relation to the nature of resurrection. We're not going to have time to finish the whole passage. I'm going to read it, just touch on a few points. So let's check it out real quick. So, for since by man came death. Which man are we talking about? Adam, thank you. By man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. Who's that speaking of? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, the grand finale. When he delivers the kingdom, when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father. So the Son's going to give the kingdom to the Father. 
when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power for, I love this, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he, speaking of the Father, has put all things under his feet, the Son's feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So the Father's exempt from that. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. Why? That God may be all in all. That's so amazing to consider. By the way, we're going to be there for that. That's going to be awesome. We don't have time to break that down, but let's look at the beginning real quick. We'll cover the end next week, unless the Lord comes, which would be way better, wouldn't it? (laughs) Come quickly. He says in verse 21, he's making a contrast between Adam and Jesus, right? By man came death. Adam, by sinning, introduced death into the human experience. Are you with me? It says, are you with me? It says that in Romans 5, I'm going to read it real quick. In Romans 5, it says, therefore, in verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. And so remember what happened. God created the universe perfect, gave gave man the responsibility to care for planet Earth. And so you remember Adam was the one who chose to trespass. He chose transgression. Eve was deceived, right? Eve took the fruit. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that Eve was deceived, but Adam transgressed. Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. What does it mean to transgress or trespass? What does that mean? Cross a line. God draws a line in the sand, and you cross that, and you don't care what God said. Does that make sense? That's a trespass or a transgression. It's kind of like don't touch the wet paint sign. What do people typically do? Right? That's a trespass. That's a transgression. You're a transgressor is the idea. So Adam knew. God told him, don't eat of that fruit. don't Don't even mess with it, man. And they took the fruit, and what happened? The moment they took the fruit and ate, it was, it, there was sin in Adam and Eve's life. There was, and then there was death, spiritual death. There was a break in the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. That fellowship was broken. How do we know that? Well, what happened when God came to see them? What were they doing? They were hiding, right? They put on the camo fig leaves and... They were afraid. Isn't that what sin does to us, by the way? Makes us hiders, concealers. Right? Are you with me? That's what happens. Blamers. Remember what happened? Adam, where are you? Did did God not know where he was? I lost man. It was a question for Adam. Where are you? Where are we? Where's our connection? Maybe the Lord's asking you this morning, where are you? What happened? Why is there this break in our 
closeness, our intimacy. Remember what happened after that? The blame game started, didn't it? Isn't that what happens with sin? The blame game starts? Right? What, who did Eve? The devil made me do it, right? The devil made me do it. Adam? Who did Adam blame? Not only the woman, the woman you gave me. <laughs> Blame, blamed his wife and God. That sound familiar, dudes? <laughs> there was a breaking of the relationship between humanity and God because of Adam's sin. That's what's known as original sin. But the contrast, I love this. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. Because of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, he introduced what? Forgiveness and life and resurrection. In Adam, all die. Do 10 out of 10 people die? Have the statistics changed at all? In Adam, we all die. We are sinners by nature and we are sinners by choice. We've all inherited this sin nature, correct? We're part of the Adams family. You guys are hoping to remember that too, right? Some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? Google it. We've all inherited a sin nature, but we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all heading in that direction. Our bodies are not getting stronger and stronger. They're tending towards death. The mess that was made, listen, the mess that was made in the garden and Adam bomb went off. He bombed in the garden. And we are feeling the after, we're feeling the effects even to this day. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and did the fixing, did the repair. Because Adam's sin, we're all born in sin. Death entered in. But notice what it says at the end of verse 22. We'll finish here. All shall be made alive in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? In Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? We know He's in us, but in Him. We're connected to Him. Because He's alive. We're in a living relationship with Him. The resurrection of Jesus overcame the curse, overcame the original sin. Even though we inherit the sin nature, even though we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, He reverses the curse and causes us to be alive both now and eternally. The damage was done by Adam. The fixing and the repair was done by Jesus. That's good news. That is such good news this morning. Adam was responsible for sin that came into the world and death, and Jesus is responsible for making us alive. That's good news, isn't it, this morning? May we take that good news with us and share as the Lord leads in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. Your word is so good. You know exactly what we always need to hear, and you're so faithful. Thank you that you're alive, that you're with us.